And now, New Galaxy Enterprises proudly presents Threshold Radio. This is Johnny Bluestar. Welcome to Threshold, a global media event. Is the universe just a random dance of atoms, or is it a manifestation of a supremely intelligent architect? Can its purpose, or our purpose here on Earth, be adequately assessed? Can we commune with it, know its intentions, cooperate with its direction? Here, we define threshold as a gateway state of awareness, allowing mankind to cross into a place of real cognition. Threshold allows us to approach questions of higher reality through the door of experience, rather than mere belief. Welcome to Threshold, where we tear away the veil from commercial media, bringing our audience and participants into another realm of reality and enhanced communication. This is Johnny Blue Star. My company, New Galaxy Enterprises, helps create media projects that support the environment, encourage a healthy lifestyle, develop useful nurturing technology, and offer platforms for socially constructive entertainment or informative, transformative media. If you need help to accomplish your goals, visit NewGalaxyEnterprises.com or contact me at JohnnyBlueStar at gmail.com. Turn your vision into a dazzling media reality. Manifest your media dream today. Welcome to Threshold. I'm co-hosting this show with Hugo Rodier, an integrative physician who is concerned, like I am, with the well-being of our planet. Today's show is a reaction to another grave crisis fostered by the Trump's administration announcement, namely, that it would recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and move its embassy there. Good morning, Hugo. Good morning, Johnny. Uh, happy New Year. Well, Happy New Year to you. And... Uh, Happy New Year to the planet as well. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so too. And I think our discussion today greatly reflects on that possibility of either a very bad year or possibly a better year if if things can change. Anyway, before we begin, I'd like to say a few things, perhaps elementary, but important, about some of the key reasons the three great Abrahamic faiths regard Jerusalem as a key element of their faith. Let us remember that Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all acknowledge that their major figures are somehow descended from Abraham. The narratives in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Quran literally lay a groundwork for rituals, festivals, spiritual practices like prayer, dietary uh, matters, fasting, pilgrimages, and even the way they dress, guides to living that have affected millions of people from generation after generation. Furthermore, these narratives, whether rightly or wrongly understood, have led them to defend their concept of faith and sometimes to expand their faith through wars against outsiders and quite often against each other. How many people have died or been killed to defend their faith? The number is countless and the consequences painful beyond imagination. That's the reality. But now let's look at why the content of this city is so special for these three religions. Christianity is not the center of this conflict, but the city of Jerusalem is of vital importance to the history and practice of Christianity. For instance, in the Christian quarter, there's a church called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, Sepulchre, which was built on Golgotha, the hill of Calvary. There, Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected. You can't get much holier than that, as far as Christianity is concerned. But then again, the Muslim section contains 
a plateau called the Haram al-Sharif, or Noble Sanctuary, upon which is built the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Asqa Mosque, which is the third holiest site in Islam. It was here that Muslims believe that Muhammad came from Mecca during his famous night journey, praying with all the prophets before his dramatic ascension. This critical event, the ascension, occurred nearby in the shrine of the Dome of the Rock, which holds the foundation stone. From here, Muhammad, it is said, then ascended to heaven. Although Muslims travel here throughout the year, many specially make pilgrimages during every Friday during the Feast of Ramadan. The Jewish quarter features the Western Wall, which is a leftover component of a retaining wall of a mount upon which rested the Holy Temple, where Jews believe was the place for the Holy of Holies, the location of the foundation stone, which was the actual foundation of the creation of the world. Here Abraham prepared himself to sacrifice Isaac, his son. The wall is the nearest place Jews can get to the Dome of the Rock, where the Holy of Holies was actually located. It is visited every day, but particularly on the holy days. The question I have, you go, with all these different narratives and the history of such terrible conflict between the Israeli and Palestinian sides today, can peace really be truly achieved? I believe, no, it cannot, if these conflicting sections continue to base their policies and narrative on a faith-based uh, uh, viewpoint. I believe we, we, they can achieve peace if they turn to a more secular view of politics and international relationships. So that's the big conundrum. Will, will these people be able to put aside their uh, religious uh, beliefs to come to a secular decision? That's the way it's worked throughout the world. Uh, I don't know if we really, I don't really know if you have to um, put aside the religious part. If you focus on the religious part, which says things like love thy neighbor, you know, uh, oh. respect people of a book, <laughs> uh, you know, in other words, I think that there is in all these religions a commonality about loving God and loving your neighbor and, uh, and you know, not, not hurting people who aren't hurting you. So um, I do think that you can, unless you get into certain kinds of details and interpretations, which I think mostly, uh, I mean, mo most of the people who are Jews, Christians, and Muslims do put those things aside. And, and you know, the general population of people, I think, are quite willing to get along with each other. Do you disagree with that? Oh, no, you're totally right. We're just talking about two different things. I, you're absolutely right. If they were to be based, base their arguments on the, what you talked about, yeah, the solution is readily available and simple and, and we're done. But what I meant was for them to be basing their territory claims on, on faith of their own history. So yeah. the, the history narrative of their religions is quite conflicting and they just don't want to budge that's why All that's why it's so important to say <clears throat> that jerusalem should be a, regardless of the ownership quote it should be an international place which it is now in a way uh where all these faiths can meet however there are some real dangerous ideas in the way that this uh, th this has just gone down, which we're going to discuss, of course. 
Um, now, anyway, let's proceed to the decision that, that Trump made and executed to move the embassy to Jerusalem. With all fairness to him, despite the great deal of upset that it has caused, he did say that he was not trying to offset the possibility that the division of Jerusalem could be a point of negotiation in the peace talks, nor in regards to the specificity of borders in that negotiation. Prior to that actual decision, he started out very optimistically. Let's listen to how he was considering that challenge. I'm committed to working with Israel and the Palestinians to reach an agreement. But any agreement cannot be imposed by the United States or by any other nation. The Palestinians and Israelis must work together to reach an agreement that allows both peoples to live, worship, and thrive and prosper in peace. And I will do whatever is necessary to facilitate the agreement, to mediate, to arbitrate anything they'd like to do. But I would love to be a mediator or an arbitrator or a facilitator, and we will get this done. But there can be no lasting peace unless the Palestinian leaders speak in a unified voice against incitement to violate and violence and hate. There's such hatred, but hopefully there won't be such hatred for very long. All children of God must be taught to value and respect human life and condemn all of those who target the innocent. Over the course of my lifetime, I've always heard that perhaps the toughest deal to make is the deal between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Let's see if we can prove them wrong. Okay? Okay. Good. Thank you. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. Well, I think that um, it's interesting. Uh, Still, his efforts in regards to the move made his original tension to negotiation of peace without with that with or without a two state solution much more challenging uh when when trump first started this when he first said this Hugo, uh talking about his for, formulating peace in the middle east what did you think of his chances and seriousness when when you first heard this basically one way or the other did you think that this well, was, was real hopeful. i was hopeful like i'm sure a lot of people were because here comes someone an outsider if you will to the political process you know we've tried everything why not try something new he he said a lot of good things so yes i was hopeful the only thing that uh didn't sound too good was that uh he attributed most of the hatred to the palestinians yeah that's uh that's uh, really kind of funny you know i'm sorry to say right. but uh i'm not talking about everybody in israel of course or every jewish person but there is a tremendous hatred of, uh, of the Palestinians uh, reflected right. in some of the things that have gone down, particularly with the Israeli army. It's, and we will be documenting and discussing some of that, a little bit of that, uh, in, this, in this discussion. But another thing we're going to discuss is, okay, we knew, we both thought that, you know, that there was some kind of a chance. Of course, when Trump said something, he was always going to do it. In the beginning, and of course, there was also a lot of a kind of bigotry and hatred uh, in on in his own policies. So the, there were there were some signs that there's something a little bit amiss here. But here's some other things that we didn't know about. So I'm going to discuss one of them. So uh, 
you know, in, in terms of his original intention, you know, the solution would be challenging and, 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 and he would need to find somebody who would be objective. Uh, he would have to be objective, but also his representative. But this is what he did. He chose as his negotiator, Jared Kushner, the husband of his daughter, Ivanka. Both were Orthodox Jews, Ivanka having converted to Judaism before her marriage. Jody Cantor has written uh, about this fascinating choice in the, uh, in the New York Times. And he, particularly, he has an interesting thing, or she has an interesting thing to say about Jared's teenage years. He, she says, Back then, Mr. Kushner was a high school basketball player. This is when he's visiting Israel. Uh, uh, he's around 17. A Billy Joel fan, a quiz team manager, and the one, and no one's guessed to become a negotiating partner with Mr. Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel. But unlike other students on the trip, he knew the Prime Minister, who was friendly with his father, a real estate developer and donor to Israeli causes. Mr. Netanyahu had even stayed at the Kushner's home in New Jersey, sleeping in Jared's bedroom and as he moved to the basement uh, to sleep that night. But most disturbingly, according to what Chris Riotta writes for Newsweek, quote, Jared Kushner failed to disclose his role as co-director of the Charles and Cyril, Cyril Kushner Foundation from 2016 to 2015, a time when the group funded an Israeli settlement considered to be illegal under international law, uh, according to, uh, <clears throat> that needed to be filed with the Office of government ethics earlier this year. This is disturbing be, be, before Trump took office uh, because Kushner was tasked with trying to influence the UN Security Council against an Israeli West Bank anti-settlement agreement. Indeed, this foundation very thoroughly invested millions of dollars in Israeli institutions, including those in settlements, but also in the aforementioned Beit El settlement, which was uh, considered to be illegal. These kind of conflicts might have triggered some serious questioning by the Office of Government Ethics. Kushner had visited Israel several times, but only recently as Trump's senior advisor. Had he really, nor had he had any real interaction with the Arabs before that. Still, he recently brokered a giant arms deal, useful, useful undoubtedly in the war of, of uh, Yemen with Saudi Arabia. Other than what he has done for Trump, he had no diplomatic or government experience. Still, he does show an uncanny ability to cope with these new experiences. But doesn't his background following Trump's political agenda show him particularly unqualified to solve the Israeli-Palestinian question? These actions clearly show a strong pro-Israeli bias. What do you think about this? Was he? Doesn't this sort of say something that we should have known in advance? Is this the kind of person we should have chosen to broker peace? You go. Well, I, it's so obvious that Mr. Trump, on the one hand, is trying hard for a new approach. So he gets a civilian, if you will. Also a family member, which is also praiseworthy. Who, wouldn't, who doesn't want to have family helping out, you know? But on the other hand, such poor judgment to have someone so biased, we have to assume that he's biased to, towards his own cause and his own people. Uh, to be a representative as a mediator between two people that just can't get along, and so it's just like, what, what were you thinking? <laughs> you know, 
It's amazing. Yeah, it is. Um, today's show looks at the city of Jerusalem and the tensions surrounding the recent move of the American embassy to Jerusalem. As we said, a place holy, regarded as holy by all three religions. Whereas our focus here in Threshold is the connection that all men have to God, regardless of their particular faith, it is clear that the outer practices of the various religions and their own sacred scriptures give members of those religions their own unique perspective. In fact, kind of an anchor in their own reality, in their day-to-day life. I am fine with any religious belief, as long as it's tolerant of other views that respect all men and women of conscience. As far as I'm concerned, specific religious beliefs must be understood on a very empathic level in order to appreciate the difficulties in creating peace and harmony in the state of Israel anywhere else. You know, uh, I know your background to some extent, Hugo, by now. We've known each other a while, and I know that you have definitely explored a lot of different religious beliefs. Uh, when, when I think when you and I hear statements about Muslims and Islam in particular here in this country, we find them often quite limited and often totally ignorant. Uh, I guess that we both have studied uh, a lot of um, aspects of Islam, but particularly Sufism and Sufi poetry. So I'd like you to um, go into a little bit. Um, You know, I know you spent a great deal of time probing different religions and forms of spirituality, as I said. What, What kind of effort does it take to understand another religion? Well, the main thing, in my opinion, has to be a tolerant, liberal mind. And, of course, by liberal, I don't mean left-wing. I mean that it's free to explore and to consider all possibilities. But a tolerant mind also has to be a mind that can simplify a whole lot of noise in the data. And to me, when it comes to religion... You could go nuts uh, trying to figure out the different positions and all that. But if we look at religion or uh, anthropology in a nutshell, it, it, all, it can all be boiled down to three simple concepts. The fatherhood of God, the brotherhood of men, and the immortality of the soul. So no matter what religion you look at, you're going to find these three concepts. So we know there was a a root religion, a basic primordial ancient religion or belief, if you will, from which all religions sprung. And so then we start to uh, look at these three concepts in different languages and different environments and different, different parts of the globe. And so a lot can be lost in the translation, as you well put it. Religions, all of them have these core bases and so if we were to focus on all, on on those three simple things you're right religion would be the answer to all the conflicts but due to this well i think if uh, if you had a tribe that w- was developing itself very isolated from the rest of the world it's going to come up with those three elements that you just mentioned regardless of uh, its history because I think those those elements are intrinsic in the in the heart and conscience of man, in their in their souls. Right. The problem arises when they start to split up and they go off over the over the hill, over the river, and they start to get isolated. Pretty soon, uh, their 
uh, instinct for survival begins to uh, create problems, well, there are necessary instincts, of course, but they make tribes and groups of people start to think very territorial. They don't want anyone coming in to get their water, the farage and their lands, their pastures and all that. So pretty soon you start to demonize the guys across the river. Right, it becomes kind of nationalistic, right? It becomes kind of exact nationalistic, yeah. And uh, right, and so that sometimes bleeds into possibly some things that are that are written down. Exactly. So the they write their own histories. And they all have their own Josephuses, if you will. So they start to write their own history. Pretty soon the guys across the river start looking like the boogeyman that will come at night to steal your 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 sheeps and and your flocks and et cetera, et cetera. So you have to demonize them. And that's where the problem rises when you start to look at this history through the eyes of your own religion. So all the basic things we talked about, fatherhood of God, brotherhood of man, and the immortality of the soul begin to get changed. So that's why I said at the beginning, we cannot find, a, they will not find a solution in the Middle East if they keep their political stances, positions based on their religious history, okay? a history that got corrupted, or not corrupted, but uh, written through their own viewpoint and territorial uh, policies. Well, uh, not to speak of all religions, but right now just to speak a little bit about Christian uh, interpretation of Christian scripture. In most seminaries in the United States, at least, and probably throughout the Western world, uh, you have a, you look at the passages, and you see that they are they are coming sometimes from different contexts, and so, uh, like for instance, the Last Supper in one in one area is uh, in one gospel is taking place in Passover, and another gospel it, it doesn't appear to be taking place during that time. And it, it, one of the interpretations is that, okay, well, there's a certain sect of uh, people who, who, who saw Christianity as a continuation of Judaism, more so than the other sect. And, I mean, it's, it's hard to say what's true or even if that's true, but it's still something that you can, you can really look at as a reason for some of the discrepancies in, in, those, uh, in those particular scriptures. Um, we're going to take a break now. I think this is a good time because uh, the, the points that you made about those three elements are really critical to be understood if we're ever going to get anywhere. And we'll, we'll discuss this, continue this discussion after the break. This is Johnny Blue Star, CEO of New Galaxy Enterprises, a media content development company. One of the most important positioning strategies in this world of social media is the profile. This could be, of course, a profile on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, speaking of the most popular. But profiles are also used in personal and business websites, prospectuses, brochures, authors' bios for books and publisher presentations on record albums and film investment presentations. We've been involved in these kinds of content and would be happy to help you put your best foot forward. To learn more about New Galaxies, see samples of our work, or talk to us about your project, please go to www.newgalaxyenterprises.com and fill out the contact form. 
In Killer.com, Brent Marks, an attorney and protagonist of Ken Ede's Brent Marks legal thriller series, is attacked by defamatory posts on the internet. Attempting to sue them, Marks becomes a victim of further plot against him when they hire a paid-for assassin to initiate a murder which they ultimately pin on Brent Marks. The following excerpt describes the killer's first steps to carry out his assignment. Alan Becker woke to see the stranger sitting at the foot of his bed. At first, he rubbed his eyes to ascertain if he was dreaming. Then his heart pumped wildly as he sat up straight in bed. He felt the arteries in his neck pulsating and the adrenaline tingled his nerves. Hello, Alan, said the stranger, a shadow in the darkness illuminated by the sliver of light from the moon through the window. Alan reached under his pillow. It's not there, said the stranger. I have it he said, holding up a snub-nosed thirty-eight revolver, which gleamed in the moonlight. You know, it's dangerous to keep a loaded gun in your bed. What do you want? asked Alan frantically. Nothing. Do you want money? I can give you money. Tisk tisk, Alan. Must it always be about money with you? Money is what got you into this situation after all. No, Alan, I don't want your money. Then what? I'm happy you asked. I'm going to give you a series of tasks to do, and you are going to do them. And if I don't? Then I'll kill you. Becker looked around the room. A bead of sweat had formed on his eyebrows, and he was all stiffened up and ready to run. It's no use, Alan. You can't escape. You're going to follow my instructions unless you want this to be as painful as it possibly can be. The stranger stood, gun trained on Becker's head, and turned on the light with his left hand. He was balding, of average height, and appeared to be in good physical shape. Now, Alan, I want you to get up and sit down there at your desk. Becker got out of bed and sat down at the mahogany desk, where he noticed that his personal stationery had been laid out for him, as well as a pen. Pick up the pen, Alan. Becker hesitated. Suddenly the stranger locked his gloved left hand around Becker's throat, lifted him several inches off the chair, and held the gun to his temple. Becker choked and gasped for air. Maybe you didn't hear me, Alan, he said calmly. I said, pick up the pen. Becker felt around the desk below him until he found the pen. The stranger let go and Becker fell back into his seat. That's better. Now, please don't make me repeat myself. We have a lot of work to do. Dr. Hugo Rodier has published four books on health issues covering practically all chronic health problems. You may find them by accessing his website at hugorodier.com. That's H-U-G-O-R-O-D-I-E-R.com. Gut health is the most academic, while switching off chronic disease is the most patient-oriented with simple recipes to implement his nutritional protocols. We're back, and uh, I have to say that uh, our last part of our conversation about the fatherhood of God, the brotherhood of man, and the immortality of the soul being the most important aspects of what we all need to agree on before things can really start to happen. Now, um, to be truly empathic, one cannot ignore 
the history of the religions, which look at Jerusalem in a special way. One must look at these religions' history and their scriptures, which provide each religion with their own unique take on global affairs. These views weigh heavily on the goal of creating harmony and some kind of actual solution to the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians. What I'm saying is that you do need to understand the differences, I believe, in order to, in, in order to actually realize that these differences aren't critical to keeping us from being peaceful and acknowledging the things that you just said, Hugo. Uh, um, yes, um, I understand that, but um, the problem is that these slants have gone back and forth, back and forth for thousands of years. So, so where do you draw the line? If, if we were to decide that their religious claims have value, then the, uh, we no, have no, I such agree. A I wasn't trying uh-huh. to imply that. No, I was just saying that you should, one should realize sort of the history and the actuality of the different arguments, but one has to actually, sure. in a way, ignore them uh, and, and just say, well, we all agree on this part, so let's all share. I mean, that's the only way it's right. going to happen, right? Okay. Well, in other words, yes, we want to be sensitive to their history, but I think anyone that looks at uh, their history in the Middle East would have to conclude that what we got here is it's a stunning uh, mess because the lands have gone back and forth. So I think people should then say, well, we better just try to figure this out in a secular way. And what is a secular way right now agreed by international law? that you keep the lands. I mean, for instance, if we were to look at a, a, a territories in the U.S., we'd have to give back most of the west of the United States. Chile would have to give back their northern desert. France will have to give back. I'm sorry, we get, we'd have to give back everything, Hugo. I mean, in this exactly. country, so we stole everything. Where do we end? <laughs> exactly. And so... The secular solution agreed by international law is to keep the boundaries as they are now instead of going back in history, back and back. Where do you where do you stop going back? And so that is why I believe that trying to look at the the Middle Eastern people's religious claims, religious history, it's not going to lead to a solution. Yeah. We have to just simply accept that all of them have a valid claim to this area and leave it at that. Right. It's actually – here's the problem, Hugo. The problem is – you see, I, my question is, is there any kind of a chance that the public can be even reasonably informed? Uh, I don't know because I don't think the current media is reasonably informing them even of the – you know, the, the they don't present a rational and uh, historical – and even sociological uh, picture of these different religions, especially Islam, and uh, and even their own religions, most people don't know very much about. It. And and but but the the problem is is supposedly suppose we could get the majority of people in all these countries to say, hey, let's just solve the problem. We'll have this international city in some way that we all agree to, putting aside everything else. Here's the problem. Like in the United States, the lobby that, that favors Israel is gigantically big. 
And uh, as a matter of fact, the lobbying elements for almost anything are gigantically big, big and they surely offset the uh, well-being in many, many different areas of the people in the United States and also in the rest of the world. Because the rest of the world is, is often controlled by a kind of a corporate government uh, fusion, you know, uh, which, is, which is producing t tremendously bad results in every area, whether you're talking about environment or you're talking about civil rights or anything else. And, and that's the problem, and I think that's the problem here. Because the, the influences that, that, that Kushner and, uh, and Trump are giving into are really basically influences that the same thing that Congress was giving into when they made the 1995 decision to move the embassy, because that's when it, it happened. We're going to go into that in more detail. So we have a problem here of representatives who are listening to their donors and corporate interests and, and, and you know, mega, mega rich people rather than listening to their conscience or to the people they represent. Yeah, I absolutely agree. That's the basic problem. And in the U.S., we're, we're uh, married to Israel practically. And so any effort to be more middle of the road and consider the Islamic uh, Palestinian viewpoint is viewed as uh, treason uh, practically. Now, just for the record, I didn't like Obama either, okay? So, <laughs> uh, but he made an effort to be more uh, conciliatory or more understanding of Islam, and look what he got. I mean, he was practically made to sound like a traitor uh, to the U.S. cause. And so if, if things are so partial that way, we, we cannot be a good mediator in the Middle East. But you raise a great point. Who can when just about every uh, country is beholden to corporate interests? This is a definition of fascism. Yeah. Fascism is the marriage of corporate corporations and government. And a lot of people don't like to look at it this way. But, you know, those who go around saying that the U.S. is a fourth Reich have a big point. Yeah. Well, besides, you know... Trump promised that he would be able to possibly help solve this problem. Um, and Nikki Haley actually said recently in, in a television interview that the recognition of Jerusalem as the Israeli capital was, was helpful in the peace process. But really, is this the right thing to do? I, I, th I think one of the problems is that people in the United States are not told and do not know what really these, why, why the, there have been so many sanctions against Israel that, as you'll see, she, uh, she just kind of ignores. And they look at the, I think a lot of people did, like I did, I don't know about you, Hugo, but I, I looked at Israel as the homeland of the Jews and fled for horrifying treatment by, by Nazi uh, Germany. My, my relatives were, were some of those people. And I, I, I tended to just think, uh, you know, I, I, I was against any kind of mistreatment, but I didn't know anything about the mistreatment. I just generally think, thought that uh, Israel was, you know, taking care of the right things until I started to get into it. And then I began to get really, really, wait, I was just horrified, really. 
we can't be blinded just because of some sentimental reason. And and it is more than sentimental, I suppose, that when you have a Holocaust and people flee, that they should have a place to go to. And um, anyone aware of the nature of the Middle Eastern conflicts, even going back to the Arab Revolt during World War I against the Ottoman Empire, has to realize that there's been equally horrific suffering of Middle Eastern people in the wake of so many endless wars. But for many who have investigated the suffering of the Palestinians and Israel rule, Israeli rule, uh, th- this is something very intolerable. And I'd like to cover it again uh, in, in another point uh, in our conversation, maybe in another program. Now we're going to read and discuss how Human Rights Watch sums up the settlement issue. Keep in mind as we read it and discuss it a bit that all of this is very controversial. Unfortunately, international law is sometimes unclear, sometimes not enforced, sometimes there are many different opinions that come up when you're sitting at the table discussing these very important diplomatic issues. So you have to use your discrimination and your own research to come to a conclusion. But this is what Human Rights Watch says. First of all, it says Israeli settlements in the West Bank violate the laws of occupation. In other words, these settlements should not be in occupied territory. Now, why? Why does it say that? Quote, the Fourth Geneva Convention prohibits an occupying power from transferring its citizens into the territory it occupies and from transferring or displacing the population of an occupied territory within or outside the territory. So they are taking citizens of Israel and putting them in this occupied territory. Well, why would they be concerned about that? Why would the law prevent them from doing that? Because occupied territory is not necessarily permanent. It's something that's done because an army or a, or a state has actually conquered this area, maybe temporarily. They're occupying it, but that doesn't mean they're annexing it or owning it. That's the problem. And this is a huge problem in, the, in, in terms of what Israel is doing, because these people are, have very, very little room to move now. They are, this whole area is being dominated more and more by Israeli settlers coming in there, and there are a lot of restrictions on those people's movement and their access to resources, whereas the settlements are not stressed out by those problems. Then we, the um, Human Rights Watch commentary goes on. The Rome Statute, the founding treaty of the International Criminal Court, establishes the court's jurisdiction over war crimes, including the crimes of transfer parts of the civilian population of an occupying power into an occupied territory and the forcible transfer of the population of an occupied territory. So basically they're saying the um, Israeli citizens are not supposed to be here and they're not supposed to be moving out the, the population that was there before. And that is a crime. It's actually a war crime, according to this Rome statute. The International Criminal Court, which is the acronym is the ICC, the ICC has jurisdiction over crimes committed in or from the territory of the state of Palestine, now an ICC member, beginning in June 13, 2014, the date designated by Palestine in a declaration accompanying its accession. So Palestine is part of this international criminal court jurisdiction, and they are being occupied by, they are having their 
the territory that they live in, which is being occupied by Israel, Israel is bringing in settlers from their own country. And there are a lot of problems with this. I can tell you that. It's really unfortunate that people don't really look at it that way, and they don't even know sometimes it exists. Now, the Human Rights Watch discussion goes on. It says, Israel's confiscation of land, water, and other natural resources for the benefit of settlements and residents of Israel also violate the Hague regulations of 1907, which prohibit an occupying power from expropriating the resources of occupied territory for its own benefit. In other words, when you've occupied a territory, you're supposed to sort of leave it alone. You're not supposed to pirate its resources, its water, its land, and other things, you know, its infrastructure, its electrical infrastructure, say, or its uh, its various things, it's like its pipelines, its resources for transporting oil, say, or uh, uh, things like that, all kinds of things, and uh, maybe even using, the, using uh, on the land, creating, um, you know, agriculture that they could use for themselves. They're not supposed to do that. Now the human rights uh, document goes on. In addition, Israel's settlement project violates international human rights law, in particular, Israel's discriminatory policies against Palestinians that govern virtually every aspect of life in the area of the West Bank under Israel's exclusive control, known as Area C, and that forcibly displace Palestinians while encouraging the growth of Jewish settlements. Well, there's been a lot of attention to what's going on in these settlements. And these people are being extremely deprived of every aspect of their freedom, but also deprived of sometimes of water, of food, and access to electricity, and also freedom of movement, freedom of commerce. It's rather a mess. And although, as I have said before, I'm extremely sensitive to the fact that the Jews, after having gone through what the Nazis did to them, yes, I can understand the need for a homeland. My relatives were in that group. But I have no desire to see the Palestinians being treated this way, because as far as I'm concerned, the Palestinians and the Jews are all my brothers. They're all children of God, and they don't need to be uh, abused because somebody is conquered them in a war situation. And we're talking about now years and decades of basically abuse. And, you know, it looks to me like there's got to be a sort of conscience involved in this whole situation. Just as they know about the depths of the problems with settlements and tried to prevent the UN sanctions regarding that problem, the Trump administration also knew in advance the potential dangers to U.S. consulates and embassies around the world because it alerted the security arm of the State Department of the possible consequences. Closing one's eyes to injustice because inflating one's ego with some kind of intrinsic moral or spiritual superiority is not the way of true American exceptionalism. If there's any kind of exceptionalism in our country, it is because of the alleged ideals, not because of any historical reality. We are exceptional because we had moral and spiritual principles aligned with the divine presence. On that note, we will now take a break. And now, Patty Greer's Are You the One?
Take me deep into your heart Show me is a coming-of-age novel by Ray Boylan and Johnny Bluestar. It is about a young Tom Boots Raymond who grows up in New York in the 1940s who is a member of a street gang. My friends and I were about to start our own game of stickball when Rabbit Lacey, the head of the Rattlers, came up to us and tried to move in on our game. We were called dwarves, the youngest members of the stupid gang. Hey, Kevin, I need you to get some gloves and some stuff I left at my place. No, this is our game. Hey, are you my good little dwarf or what? You've been calling me a dwarf since I was six. We're not your personal slaves, pal. Hey, what is this? A dwarf rebellion? All right, big guy. We ditched the dwarf thing. We make you guys regular rattlers. No, it's too late. He looked at Jay and me. We looked away. Rabbit was now angry and he pushed Kevin hard with the palms of his hand. Kevin tried to ram him in the stomach, but he stepped aside, throwing Kevin into the curb where he fell to the ground, bleeding profusely at the knee. Still, he managed to get up. My street. Kevin shouted at Rabbit, pointing at him with an angry index finger. Find out more by Googling Boots in Manhattan, a 1940s coming-of-age novel, part one of the novel series The Foot Soldier by Ray Boylan and Johnny Bluestar. Google with the words Boots in Manhattan, Ray Johnny Kindle. That's Boots in Manhattan, Ray Johnny Kindle. This is Johnny Bluestar, CEO of New Galaxy Enterprises, a media content development company. A social network campaign needs to be somewhat captivating, at least to a niche audience, consistently evolving yet capable of intriguing viewers who became interested after it had begun. No doubt the audience is often fickle and exacting and the creator of the campaign has a great deal to consider. Knowledge of the product and its proper audience is naturally the key to entreating them to become its consumers. To learn more about New Galaxy, see samples of our work or talk to us about your project, please go to www.NewGalaxyEnterprises.com and fill out the contact form. Here's my question, Hugo. Should the United States turn away from the essential human rights violations occurring in Israel today? If you look at, Hugo, I don't know if you've seen Abby Martin's visit to the um, West, to to Gaza. Have you seen that at all? Yes, uh uh-huh. I mean, it is absolutely horrendous what's going on there. And uh, whatever yeah. its alleged spiritual, Israel's alleged spiritual status is, does it remove it from the commitment to respect the life and love of one's neighbor referred to in all these scriptures as we've talked about? Uh, do they just get away with this? And, and why, why, uh, why is that being ignored and, and just being softened? Because it's just, just looking at it for one minute can tell you that it's something really, really terrible. Yes, and we can see why this is happening, but let me start by saying this. The first casualty of war is truth. And some wise person said that, but we see it all the time, don't we? So even in this story, 
that seems to slam Israel, you know that there are little concerns. But let me start by saying this. By transferring citizens, Israel, to these occupied lands and using their resources, it's like squatting rights. So they hope to, in the future, say, well, we squatted here, therefore this land is ours. But that's how the world has decided to draw boundaries, squatting rights, really, after a while. So, yes, it's reprehensible that Israel is doing this because it's violating agreements that are trying to nip the problem in the bud. Then we don't have all this territorial historical mess to deal with. But I think Israel, as reprehensive as their policy is, let's look at the other side. It turns out that we're pitting two cultures here. Israel, because of having wandered through the world, being exiled, they ended up, uh, Israelites ended up associating with a whole lot of Western people whose mentality about economics and politics was different from the desert lands they left. Well, their cousins who stayed there, the Palestinians, retained their tribal desert mentality, which frankly, you know, we have to be frank here, has not led to a whole lot of economic uh, uh, development or human rights, including women's rights, etc. So what we've got here, in my opinion, is the same thing Europeans saw when they invaded America and put down people that were more tribal, if you will, but no less deserving of respect. And so, true, we all need to respect each other, but the fundamental problem is that we have one culture that is very capitalistic against another culture that is very tribal. So guess who's going to lose? You know, we see it throughout history. It doesn't mean that one culture is better than the other. It's just that they're different. And so that's why Israel comes off doing these things, because really, I think Israel does not respect these tribal people, tribal mentality, uh, which arguably, you know, there can be problems with it. But hey, how about capitalism? Look at the problems we, we have with our uh, philosophy of capitalism, raping the earth, oppressing the poor, et cetera, et cetera. We're not much better, but a more technologically advanced people, which is what capitalism can brag about, will always take over and abuse a less advanced, uh, more tribal, primitive, if you will, in the sense of anthropology uh, culture. Well, I think that uh, the experience of Thomas Edward Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia, in trying to... Um, you know, overthrow the Ottoman Empire with the help of the of the Arab people. Um, it, 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 it took a while, but after a while, he felt terrible about what he was doing because he was promising uh, these people freedom, and he knew that they weren't probably going to get it so easily. And I mean, after the war, he tried his best to do what he could, but uh, basically, it, it, it destroyed him. The fact that he was such uh, yeah, he, he was speaking with with a forked tongue to these people who were near him and become friends of his and who were dying in in, in because of his promises, so it was it, it was great it's a point. sad situation. Yeah, great point. Then it, it, it so it's worth going back to what you said before is that this 
corporate government, world government, of course, is going to favor the more capitalistic side of the equation being Israel, because it leads to more economic development. Well, a lot of these so people came will, from Europe, you know, I mean. Exactly, that too. Right. They, Another thing is the British Empire at the time of World War One. Exactly. It was very capitalistic in its own way. Thank you, Hugo, for joining me today. Well, thank you, Johnny. And I want to thank all you listeners who are very riveted, like I am, on the fate of our planet and of the situation with Jerusalem. We'll see you next show. This is Johnny Bluestar, CEO of New Galaxy Enterprises, a media content development company. If you like Threshold Radio, a program which deals with core issues affecting our personal, political, and spiritual lives, and advocates the creation of an enlightened, informed citizenry, not only in America, throughout the world, then you might think of supporting both your product and business and our message by advertising on our show. To learn more about New Galaxy, see samples of our work, or talk to us about your project, please go to NewGalaxyEnterprises.com and fill out the contact form. This is Johnny Bluestar. We all live very closely or within ourselves to an immense journey of self-discovery and adventure. For humanity, both the wide expanse of stars and the infinitely wider space within ourselves beckon us to make that leap forward. Thank you for making Threshold Radio part of your journey. Be well and keep cosmic.
When I wake up each morning trying to find myself And if I'm ever the least unsure I always remind myself Though you're someone in this world that I always choose to love From now on you're only someone that I used to love As for me it's getting down to the last unspoken part When you must begin to ease the pain of a broken heart Tell me why should I even care if I have to lose your love From now on you're only someone that I used to Just refused my 